0: Welcome to Conflict Managed. I'm your host, Mary Brown. Today on Conflict Managed, we welcome Geneva Taylor, a native of Seattle, where she received her master's degree from Seattle Pacific University in reconciliation and intercultural studies. Geneva's background and work in reconciliation and restorative practices are truly impressive. Her dedication to healing trauma in the black community through practices like healing circles and mediation is commendable. She has made significant contributions to her community including her role as a certified mediator, her work with the Office of Police Accountability, and her involvement with various community organizations. Her business venture, Reconcile with Merge, aims to help people navigate difficult conversations and foster reconciliation in fractured relationships. To learn more about her work, her thesis, The Black Reconciliation, can be found on Seattle Pacific University's website. Good morning, Geneva, and welcome to Conflict Managed. Thank you. Good morning. (laughs) So lovely to talk with you on this beautiful fall day.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes, it's very falling here in Washington.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Let's just get right into it. Will you tell me the first job you ever had?
1: My first job I ever had was at Safeway grocery store in Seattle. And um, I was a bagger. I was only, I think I was like 15. They were the only folks who would hire someone. (laughs) Uh, at 15 during, you know, my time. And so it was very interesting to have a job because people were like, where'd you get hired? I'm like, the only place that really hires folks this young. So I enjoyed it.
0: What was that experience like?
1: The one thing that made it really fun is I got to interact with people from everywhere. Uh, Seattle, it seems to be a melting spot a melting pot. And it's a melting pot actually in the Rainier Valley area, which is where I'm from. I'm from the Rainier Beach area. So I worked at the Safeway um, in Rainier Beach, which is pretty big because we had so many people from all over and it's still getting more diverse. So it was great hearing people's accents, their clothes, their mannerisms. It was so interesting to see people who just got here to the States and then to just meet new people. It was, it was an amazing experience, mainly because I love people. <laughs> I don't dislike people. I love people. So it was great interacting with people talking. I love talking, having conversations with people. So that's why I, I kind of enjoy bagging groceries. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that makes a lot of sense to me. And I like that you point out the, the diversity of people that you you met and got to interact with and how energizing that is because, you know, when we're young, when we're teenagers, the people that we interact with, of course, are our family and any sort of community events our families are involved in or churches and then the schools that we go to. But then again, mostly that's young people our age or teachers. But when you're at a grocery store, like most restaurants, but certainly a grocery store, you are in the public and you get to see people of all backgrounds, all ages buying their groceries, so
1: true, so true. And like, what are you making with this? I've never <laughs> seen this like it's it's so <laughs> much fun to talk to them and be like what what's happening here? I've never seen this and especially the different vegetables and fruits that we had in the grocery store it was just it was very interesting to kind of um engage in conversation yeah so where did
0: you go after Safeway?
1: After Safeway, I think I went to Old Navy. It was like a tip job for the summer. And that's when I really figured out I love fashion. So it was a good job. Um, I learned a lot more about what goes into retail. It was a good experience. I also, um, I don't know which one came first, just because my memory from years ago. You know, it was just last year, I was 15, but no, (laughs) (laughs) my, my memory from that long ago is trying to, um, I'm trying to remember which one came first, but I was also an activist. I did a Martin Luther King march. So I worked for Young People's Project. So I became an organizer really young. So I started organizing. I helped schools walk out um, for different things during the WTO. Like it was just so many different things that um, I did as a young organizer. So I kind of did some of that work as well.
0: So given your love of fashion and your passion for social justice issues, what won over in college? What did you major in?
1: Really good question.
0: (laughs) Um, Neither of them won um,
1: (laughs) because I was a music major and I was a music major. I love singing and songwriting. It's probably one of my uh, biggest um, passions for sure. I've been singing since I was younger in choir, worship leader, doing some of that. So I I even went to college and I was singing in the choir. And um, so music actually went over. I kind of rested on social justice a little bit. I went to an HBCU, a historical black college. So it was a little um different being in the south from the northwest. <laughs> it was very interesting because it wasn't as much as a melting pot any longer, which is why I love Wash Seattle, is the diversity that you get. It was only like, oh, there's only black and white people here. <laughs> it was so interesting. I was like, oh, okay. This is a little different. But I got to see um. I got to be around, you know, a lot of Black folks. And I was like, oh, this is a shocker for me. You know, it was kind of the opposite of what I was used to. I mean, it it happens in Seattle. There's spots and places in Seattle where there's a strong Black community, um, but it's a little different when it's the city. And I'm just like, because I was in Raleigh, Durham. I was actually in the Raleigh area in North Carolina. So it was definitely a, a little different meeting folks from D.C. and Maryland and, you know, all over. It was just like, oh, OK. So I enjoyed that a lot. But the music definitely won over. And fashion kind of got even more juiced up down there. So <laughs> Well,
0: I I would think that music is a wonderful meeting ground between fashion and um, social justice issues and activism because, I mean, I'm preaching to the choir here music, (laughs) what it has the power to do, and how creative it is, and how empowering it can be, and how encouraging it can be to others to help them along the path of being light to whatever issue is going on. So I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah,
1: that's very true. I like how you pair those together. <laughs>
0: very, very true. And from there, then you ended up at Seattle Pacific. Is Were you doing a, a master's degree there?
1: Yeah, I came back to Washington and wanted to really focus in on getting my master's. Um, I actually started in business. I mm-hmm. wanted to do business. And I thought it was important because I knew that I wanted to own my own business. And I'm doing that now, but um, I wanted to do business with a focus on business with uh, your faith. So Seattle Pacific University is a Christian university. I went through the seminary um, degree, but there is a seminary degree track where it's business and a seminary degree track, which was reconciliation and intercultural studies. And I was like, yeah, and there were many more, but I was like, I'll do the business. But I sat in some, um, because you had to take some basic reconciliation work courses. And I did that with Dr. Brenda Salter-McNeil, who is my mentor and who has been doing this work forever, right? And so I was doing that with her and she, she pulled me to the side. I went in her office and she said, now Geneva, <laughs> I know you're in business, but you seem to have an eye for some of this work and social justice and some of the work regarding you know, bringing people together and understanding communities and helping people unify and what does that look like to change your major from business to um reconciliation and I thought about it, I looked at my papers and saw all the notes she wrote, and she was like i was and I was thinking like you might be right this is this has definitely been something i um have been passionate about is fighting for injustice and equity and inclusion and belonging, all of those things, right? I worked at the Diversity Education Center as well. So I've had a lot of experience working in that atmosphere. And then I thought to myself, like, you know what? This kind of actually does feel very natural to me, Mm -hmm. Um, but I... I guess I was kind of fighting it because I knew I was supposed to do business. So it was like, Ugh. but I think that I made the right choice. Um, I think that it has served me well and understanding more about culture and intercultural. Like we had to go on trips. We went to South Africa. We've done a lot of work. Seattle Pacific um, University really prepares people for the work they're going to be engaging in, in the world. So I think that I made the right choice. It was just hard, you know, the journey, like letting go of what you think. And I'm still in business, but I did not enjoy those business classes at all. (laughs) She's like, you do not like these. I said, no, I don't. So yeah. It is so,
0: it's so wonderful to have mentors who can see our trajectory and see something in us that we don't see and given their experience so i'm sure it wasn't that she thought that you aren't going to go into business but for you to be flourishing in that business this path will actually get you there in a way that as you said is who you are and when we have a passion for something it is so important to really take stock of of what our gifts are and and capitalize on that as of course running a business or any business in any business, you have to do stuff that you don't like as much stuff that is difficult for you. But really, I think spending time cultivating our natural affinities, I think really does pay off in the end. Yeah, I agree. Bring us up to date. So what are you doing right now?
1: Currently, I'm working for the city of Seattle, I am um, conflict resolution practitioner, really, I Um, I'm a community engagement specialist for the Office of Police Accountability. Um, And I also um, do work around uh, restorative justice. So I do that for our office. I run our mediation program in our office. Um, I train mediators. Um, I became a certified mediator at this position earlier um, in my career or my time here um, at City of Seattle. And so now I'm teaching folks how to uh, do mediations. I'm running circles. I do this on the side as well, my own business. Um, And so I enjoy conflict resolution. (laughs) So I was like, you like getting in the the mess of stuff, right? And I'm like, yeah, but it's more as a guide. I try to make sure that people are empowered in their decision-making and that they are part of the process. And if folks are ready to kind of dive in, uh, I like to guide them through the process. So I enjoy that a lot, so...
0: I love the way that you explained that because when I tell people what I do, I, sometimes I think, oh, you like conflict. I'm like, absolutely not. I, I do not like conflict, but I love the process. I love empowering people. I want to be the guide. I want to make the space for people to solve their problems, to come together, to find that path forward, that personal empowerment. So it's not the conflict, right? It's I, I don't like getting in the mess. And it's usually inappropriate for me to be in the mess of their conflict. So I really appreciate the way you described a large part of our profession of what we do as peacemakers. Yes. So you also have your own business. Can you tell us a little bit about Reconcile with Merge?
1: Yes, Reconcile with Merge. This is my first pilot year. So it's very exciting because I do this for the city, but I do it um, only with complaints with officers and community members. And I do circle keeping with Seattle Police Department and with uh, some of the people in community helping bring together these perspectives and these ideas and you know you sit in a place with anger and uh, resentment and you know so many different disappointments and where people are at with how um, Seattle's officers are treating people and but how community is responding to, you know, like bringing those people together, I think is important and love that work. Um, But I realized this is a very small portion of what I, um, I'm only able to touch this small area of, you know, uh, of the work. And I was like, I wanna do more than just Seattle Police Department. And so, prior to that, I was doing circles in community in the Rainier Valley area. Um, I did it at Emerald City Bible Fellowship. I did it at a church like a. Um, it was a multicultural church, but I led a circle in that area, only Black folks, and it was healing um, around some of the injustices that were happening in the in the city and across the nation. And I think that one thing that is important is that I have evolved because I was able to point out diversity um, in college a little bit more and talk about diversity and what that looks like. But now I am more in a space of what does healing look like? What does repair look like? And so doing some of that work um, at SPU at my college with Dr. Brenda um, has been helpful with racial reconciliation, has been so helpful in my endeavors and um, helping folks to have an understanding of uh, unity and what that looks like. And then getting to Seattle Seattle Police Department. And then I was like, okay, I still want to do this work in my own way. So I started Merge literally, um, I think last year I put the paperwork in, but I didn't start until January. I got my first contract and work with the organization to teach about conflict resolution. Did some conflict resolution training with another organization. So contracts led to more contracts. (laughs) <laughs> which is why I was telling you earlier before we started I'm like this is a lot of work <laughs> working full time and you know taking on different contracts and um um helping folks and doing trainings I've done some mediations so doing mediations within the city and things of that nature but doing them outside is a whole another ball game doing having an intake process and if you don't do the intake right, what that looks like. And, you know, people during intake don't always, you know, give you the real deal until you're in there and you can actually see it and be like, oh, oh, OK, this is this is really what's happening. OK, yeah. uh, so then try to figure out that and then what type of what type of skill or what type of tools should be used for that scar or that issue you know there's different medicine for each thing like should this be a mediation is this just between two people should this be a training should everyone be involved in this like really trying to figure out what the medicine is for that scar that wound I think is important and sometimes in the intake you do not get that until you're actually involved And then you're like, oh, this wound is much bigger or, oh, this wound is smaller. It's really isolated. And so figuring that those processes out this year have been quite uh, interesting. And the reason why is because I'm I am really doing this on my own this venture. And I'm just like, okay, I'm starting to understand this more. That's why I was so excited to meet you. Cause I'm like, okay, she's gone, she's gone some steps before me. So um this will be helpful to me to have a relationship with Mary, Mary. And I'm like, yes, 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 this will this will be perfect. Um, because it's always important to be around folks who kind of do what you do so you can get some some good tools and iron sharpening iron. So yeah.
0: That's wonderful. I, I love. I love what you're up to, and I like the words that you use because I haven't really heard people talking about wounds and medicine, and that's a wonderful picture to think about what's going on, whether it's at work, in the community, or families, but these wounds, a lot of times people talk about trauma, institutional trauma, but think wounds are so personal, and we are these embodied creatures. And a lot of times, you know, we say sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. And I mean, what a crazy saying is that, right? So I I really love that imagery. I'm going to think more about that. Wounds and medicine. Absolutely. So speaking about wounds, you've had a variety of different jobs and and uh, interact with a lot of different people. Can you tell us about a conflict that you've had with somebody or with a manager and What was difficult about it for you? And how did you navigate through that situation? Interesting enough,
1: I have had some conflicts in the workspace, right? I don't think my, one of the managers I've had in the past, I don't think she believed in me very much. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was really hard. It was really challenging to have someone who didn't believe in your abilities. And it was very evident. And it was very clear um, Mm -hmm. that she did not. And, and so it made it it made it hard for me to work with her because she was my supervisor. And it's hard to get assignments that are below your, you know, intelligence. And I'm just like, mm, I can get this done in five seconds. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> can I have a harder task? Let's do this. I would give suggestions of my tasks, possibly. <laughs> so I I think I might possibly be a hard person to manage because of my leadership already. It's, it's because I'm already five steps ahead of what you're thinking. And I have to wait for you to get there. (laughs) I have to wait for you to process to get there. And that sounds very arrogant. And I try to be, especially when people are in new management roles, because she was a new manager, her skills to manage people were not there. She was just starting off in this field, not so much in the field, but in management and supervising people. So supervising people takes a heart and good character and all of these things. And I don't think she really had a heart for it at first. I think by the time she left the position, she was much better as a manager. But sitting with her through that process of becoming a great manager um, was not fun, nor was it ideal. And it was hard and it was tough watching her stumble through things. And I'm like, you could have just told me this from the beginning, but you obviously, you did not know that. Oh, you're realizing I am smart, but it's in a different area. You're okay. That's good. Uh, kind of late, but still good nonetheless. Um, Because when you're under a good manager, you know, and they can quickly, oh, you're good at this. Oh, they can identify where to place you, what to do, how to use you in the company or in the organization. It makes it so much easier. But when people are not able to do that, they're stumbling over how or what to do with you. Once she figured it out, we were, it was kind of smooth selling after that a little bit. Um, And she didn't get there by herself. It took other leadership in the office to be like, no, Geneva's brilliant. It's just in a different way. Um, And you're using her wrong. (laughs) You're you're using the gifts wrong that she has or the skills or the tools or her abilities. It's not being used in the proper way. I think it took some time for her to get there in her management skills. Now it's totally different experience with her, but it was tough at the beginning, I will say.
0: It's such a good point because everybody... Manages for the first time for the first time. And they are let loose on whoever it is that they're managing. And certainly there are going to be people who are senior to them in experience, in ability. And of course, a good manager shouldn't want to be the smartest person in the room, but rather be able to, you know, do all the different sorts of wonderful things that a, a good manager can do. That is such a good point about having grace on somebody that can make your life really difficult, mm-hmm. uh, and, and to and to you know to really think about you know these sort of management structures and power. It's all very temporary, and people are in process, and people change. And leadership, as you know, has little to do with the title, and yet titles really do make a difference in insofar as the power that somebody can have over our day to day, right.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So interesting really interesting to think about that experience and how much you learned and how much you probably had to control yourself right yeah. like why is this person here right? just go away let me do my but that but you did her a mercy by sticking it out and helping her develop instead of going to somebody above her and writing her up and trying to get her out. there are people at work that are frustrating to us for a variety of reasons and it's difficult when they're our manager, But your story there is such a good example is we don't have to give up on people. We can come alongside them, even if they are our manager, and believe in them that they could be better at what they do and that we can be a part of that. I I think that's very powerful. Yeah.
1: It hard. Was, it was definitely tough. I That's literally really wanted tough. to quit. There
0: was a few times where I'm like, I'm going
1: to quit. I'm not doing this anymore. Um, a coworker quit. I think I'm the only one who's, you know, still in the position from uh, kind of her time. Um, hmm. and she's no longer there. So hmm. it was very, it was a journey. <laughs> it was a journey and she's a much better manager now. And she'll say things like, what do you think, Geneva? I'm like, you're asking me for my opinion now? It's just to see her her growth, it's like blooming, right? But you bloomed on my time, which was very, (laughs) (laughs) very like, really, I had to sit through this and endure, but um, much better, much better manager, much better now. Yeah.
0: And I mean, that's the story of our work lives, right? If we want to be resilient, We don't get resilience just because we have these wonderful environments and all the resources we need and wonderful bosses that speak into us and encourage us, right? That's wonderful. And hopefully we get that sometimes. But most of the time we work with people or for people that we might find tiresome, that we might think they don't really know what's going on, that are getting actually in the way of work. And a part of being in a community at work is figuring it out. And figuring out what really matters and self-empowerment. How do I move forward, even though this person is is difficult for me? But it's difficult for me. So what do I do? This, as you know, as being a conflict resolution person, finding the empowerment in the difficult situation, because there will always be difficult situations. Always. Always. You get (laughs) through one and you think, shoo, right? Just like you (laughs) bought a house, right? You buy, you know, like, oh, I got this. And then. Something unfortunately will break. You know, something is yes, there's always something.
1: Always. That's what my mom has always taught me. She's like, it's not one thing, it's another. It's okay. <laughs> you got to keep going. You got to keep trucking. And it's funny that you mentioned that because that's one of the first things I talk about in training. Conflict is normal. Right. It's normal. normal. Don't think of it as conflict, think of it as a, difficult conversation, or this might be a little challenging. This might hurt a little bit to have this conversation, but it's normal. It's not something that's gonna go away or, you know, it's just the way that we manage it, how we walk through it, you know? So
0: that's right, absolutely. And I think normalizing it and expecting it, like change management, I think if you get into any job, you think, shoo, I'm done learning. I've got this new system. It's just really, you're setting yourself up for failure. Or I walked through this difficult thing, this manager, now I'm done with conflict at work. It doesn't work that way, right? Mm -hmm. People have, and a lot of times the conflicts that hurt us the most are the little things, the barbs, the injustice, the little slights that pile up and accumulate and make us feel uncared for, make us feel um, like we don't belong, make us feel in this way that is is, is disrespected. And that's, you know, as human persons, we crave to be seen and to be recognized and for our autonomy to be um, prized and and protected in a way in our work environments. And those little things just chip at it.
1: Yeah, and you're making me think about what happens when you are resilient and what happens when you do continue to push through and what are the benefits that come from that because so easily we can be like i'm done (laughs) but what happens if you stayed in the fight or continue to work towards something it just i think of all the benefits like if i left that job i would have never been as far as I am in my career the trainings the skills the different things that I have the opportunities the networking if I was just like I'm done I would have left years of things that I've gained um through that employer like it's it makes me think like wow I'm glad I stayed in it um it was worth every penny of it <laughs> every experience every opportunity I have traveled so much like oh, we need you in this space or, oh, you need to do this training or, or like so many opportunities. If I um, if I escaped or ran away from the challenge or um, the pain or the frustration, right? I just think the growth comes through, you know, sitting in it, going through it. I don't know. Yeah.
0: So why did you stay? I mean, nobody wants pain and yet I agree with everything that you said. You thought about quitting. Other people left because I couldn't take it. Why did you stay? Really, good, really good question. Um, one thing
1: is, I have faith. Um, I'm a person of faith. I'm a person of prayer. I'm a person who calls on, on the name of the Lord. And I am—I was in prayer, to tell you the truth. I really was because I really wanted to quit, um, and I prayed a lot. Like, God, is this really where you? And I heard every time I prayed, sit there, stay, stay. And I'm like, but why? I'm not growing. I'm not learning. I hate this. Stay, Geneva. You have to stay. And I'm like, no, I don't have to. I want, you should stay. Daughter, stay. There's something there. And I'm like, no. And listening and being obedient and hearing from God and knowing like, no, I'm really supposed to stay here. And knowing that I couldn't leave. I wouldn't mm-hmm. have I wouldn't have felt right leaving, um, uh, mainly because because of what you know God said to me, like no, you need to stay in it, um, and because I stayed in it, I have I have gained so much. And not only that, she's a she's she before she left our organization, she said I am such a better I am such a better manager because of you. Mm-hmm. And I think about that, and I think about the other people I've interacted with, and other people I have you know, had an impact on or have had impacts on me and have taught me m- many things because she's taught me so much, even though she was micromanaging me, even though she was all of these things, I could list them out, but I am sharp in meetings, honey. I, I run through agendas. I send next steps. I do. I, I did none of that before I got to her. I have learned so much from her. She's taught me so much, but it really came with a change of perspective and me sitting in a place where it's like, even if it doesn't go your way, will you still stay? Will you still be a part of team? What does team look like? Will you be divisive? Will you be a person who kind of starts a herd mentality? Like, what will this look like? You're teaching people this. But how do you respond to it in it? Um, if you're an expert in conflict resolution person who could go in places and see kind of some of the challenges organizations are having, how do you handle this? How do you respond to this? Um, how do your expertise actually play out? Because it's different to teach it, but to actually walk through it um, is a little different. So I think that this job, the jobs that I've had have also taught me like, Hmm. I can experience and understand what I'm walking in when someone says she micromanages me all the time
0: Mm
1: -hmm. or when she's when someone else says to me, you know, he's not he doesn't really value the work that I do or believes in me. Oh, I know what that feels like. Mm -hmm. I I get that. I understand that. Um, So I think all of those things have helped me. So the reason I really stayed was definitely the voice of God in my prayer time. Right. Uh, but now I see more. So now, like, you know, I see more like, Oh, I know why you made me stay. I know. I know. I see the benefits of it, you
0: know? Yeah. Yeah. Nobody escapes conflict and difficult situations. I talk to mediators and among mediators, they have problems. It doesn't matter. People are people. We're yeah. in different positions and, you know the voice of God is is pretty powerful. Uh, a reason to stay or to go. And we have for people who aren't religious, you know, mentors. Yeah. We both of us are certainly not advocating staying in a toxic situation that you were being harmed in. Yeah. So everybody has to know where that is. And the thing is, some of your colleagues might have left because it was too toxic for them. For because sure. <laughs> at that time they didn't have their wherewithal, given the other things going on in their life. I'm not saying they aren't resilient, but. We don't know what other people are suffering yeah. or what's going on, and so every situation is different. But resilience comes with sticking it out at the right time, trusting yourself, figuring out what you can take and why you're there, and also thinking about what are the non-negotiables. You know, what are those lines that uh, really are now impacting your mental health in such a way that it is um, the sum game is not worth it anymore.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think some of the people who have left have definitely heard like, I need to go. <laughs> and I'm like, I totally get it. Mm-hmm. You gotta go, you gotta go. And they're like, well, why are you still there? Why are you still stay there? And it didn't make me no worse or no better. You know, it's it was just for me. It was my right. journey. It's what I needed. Um, and their journeys were different. It looked That's different. Right. So I like that you said that because it's very true. No one no one is saying stay in tox, to, a toxic situation. But if you know there's something keeping you there definitely kind of tap into what that is and why yeah
0: yeah and I think we talk about like if I'm in a toxic work environment I say my work environment is toxic and I assume it's toxic for everyone it may be but there's a good chance it isn't because conflict is particular it is personal and so what is difficult for me you may not care about right and and that's why it doesn't matter that you don't care about. I have to pay attention to myself and I need to work through that. But we want a bandwagon, right? We want to get people on our side because there's this this sort of comfortability in and uh, a kind of um, affirmation and numbers. And that may be the case, but it's unnecessary for you to deal with your conflict, for you to move forward and to see and recognize that other people may not have a problem with it. Yeah. And that's, and that's them
1: very true. <laughs> it's a very true thing. <laughs> um, I know some people who let things just ride off their back. It doesn't, it's like water on a duck's back. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 Absolutely. <laughs> they're like, mm, that bothered
0: you. Okay. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, and it didn't bother you. You know, we're both thinking what's wrong with you. You know, some
1: people can go into work and they're so, yeah, mm-hmm. I have kids to feed. I have, I have so many things outside of this, that this might be a place of peace for me. I'm not paying attention to any of these people. I'm not processing. I don't care. I'm doing my job and I'm out. I know people who are like that. Like, you want to have lunch with me? Nope, that's too much. I'm going to go eat lunch in my car or go eat lunch somewhere else by myself. I am so focused on getting this work done and going home and being with, those are my family. Those are my friends. You all are just coworkers. So everyone has a different take on it. Some people, their job is their life. It is their life. It is everything that they are passionate about like this is their life the people at their job are their family some people don't have family like you have to think about all these variables everyone is not in the same same shoe same space same perspective
0: that's right and oftentimes those two kinds of people are in the same team or on the in the (laughs) same organization and and it's just such a, it's such a good thing to think about who am I what do I want from work? And there are a variety of legitimate different ways to do really good work at work and have great relationships without thinking they're my family or um, it, there's just a variety of really different ways that we can treat each other with respect and allow for those differences of how we want to think about our work.
1: Yeah, very true.
0: Now, you mentioned several times about healing circles. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that and how you see that working into helping people with and moving through conflict.
1: Yeah, going through conflict, I think healing circles can really help. And I have been doing healing circles a little bit differently recently. I And no, it's not actually recent. I've actually been doing this even when I was in my master's and working on my um, thesis. I was working on uh, circle keeping. So I've been doing circle keeping for a while. I will say that. I was doing circle keeping when I was in fourth grade. I had an amazing teacher at Hamlin Robinson School um, who took us through the healing uh, process of circle keeping. She learned it from indigenous folks in the Seattle area and she walked us through it and we did it every Friday. And we would sit in circle and it helped us to manage emotions and our ability to communicate with one another. So circle keeping is really folks getting in a circle and there being a facilitator who asks questions and everyone around the circle asks the question, answers the question, Are they say, Paul, Are passed? There's a talking piece, there's a centerpiece. Um, it comes from indigenous folks from this country for sure, but it's very global, I would say. There's um, circle keeping that happened in Africa as well. Um, there's circle keeping that happened really all over In different communities all over the globe, they didn't call it circle keeping. It didn't look exactly the same with fire in the middle of the circle. Like it looked, it looked different, but it's really just a way to have conversation with one another in a more productive way. So in fourth grade, I was talking about how I wasn't invited to birthday party in my class. And I, th- I was like, I thought we were all friends and no one invited me to your party. She was like, I didn't think you wanted to go when it was her turn, right? While the while the circle piece was going around the room, um, we would talk about these things. Our, it hurts me. My parents are going through a divorce. Like we talked about so much in this circle. As young fourth graders, and I'm sure our teacher was like, this is really, when she finally learned this, this process, she, I think she was like, yeah, we're doing this every Friday. I remember her saying, we're going to do something a little new that I learned. (laughs) And we never stopped doing it. Um, it was so effective in the classroom and in elementary to be able to identify feelings, emotions, be able to communicate some of those conflicts that we were having with other people, and them having to listen until it was their turn to speak. Because you can't just talk throughout the circle, you have to have the talkie piece in your hand. And so it gave a great opportunity for people to walk through conflict so young and the teacher to be able to address some of those things. Fast forward to now, I also use this now in some conflict, Um, but I do it with curriculum. I don't just do circle keeping. Most of the time I will probably talk for about a good 20, 30 minutes. I don't try to talk longer than that, around a certain subject or a topic. And then I will ask a question in circle and the talking piece will go around and we will kind of address some something similar to what I just taught on or the curriculum around it. So I talk about conflict styles, um, the different conflict styles there are and then I say, oh what 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 conflict style are you? How have how has that played out in your life? How has that benefited or helped you? We'll go around the circle and answer it and people will be able to say, oh, that's why she did it that way. That's why she didn't oh hmm, okay they'll start to process how their styles are different, how when they tried to talk to the person, you know, <laughs> they kind of, you know, avoided it because maybe that's your conflict style, right? Are they, the person just came up to me and had, oh, they have a little bit of a compete in them. Okay. <laughs> they So I'm I'm hoping that through the process, they're able to identify some of those themes or some of the themes that we just, um, talked about, so I think it can be very helpful when you are in a place of having to listen only, then be able to speak and speak your truth in your own narrative. I think is helpful.
0: Well, that's amazing. I just imagine the fourth grade you being able to say that about the party, and the other person being able to think about their own actions. Like I had no idea this impacted anybody, right? And so the next time, you know, might ask, and so. You could have kept that with you in fourth grade. I was never asked, and because, and then you spin your own narrative as you fill in the blank. That's what we all do, right? But to be able to get that out and then move on, or at least the process of moving on to the process of understanding and fast forward to today, this sort of curiosity that ends up is almost like mandating curiosity because as each person is answering, we're having this, you know, we're having our own conversation in our head as we're, oh, this makes sense. Oh, okay. And the listening can spark the curiosity, which can help us have empathy and understanding and look at people in a different way. We are so sure, right? Myself included. Ah. I am so sure that I've got everybody down. I know what's going on. Now <laughs> we're just like constant, like these bumper cars, you know? Yes. And most of the time we're wrong. A lot of, oh, wrong about a lot of the time. <laughs> oh. You are not lying. It is so true. People are
1: so fixated on what they've come up yeah. with in their head, their assumptions, their judgments. And I'm like, wait, did you even ask the person? <laughs> like, did you have a conversation around it? They're like, no, I never talked to them. And I'm like, Okay, that's great. You came up with this all on your own in your own imagination. And it makes me think how powerful our minds are. Yes. How powerful, like if we don't have answers, we move to assumption, we move to judgment, we move to all these places in the atmosphere. (laughs) I'm like, that was, you went out of the universe to get that one. Like, (laughs) what's (laughs) that going? especially when they actually get the answer and it's the hard part is because i'm actually somewhat in this situation now and the hard part is when people are so fixed on it mm-hmm. that when they actually do hear the truth from the person they say oh no that's a lie no. because you're so stuck in your own narrative and what you think it is that you can't see outside of it yeah oh yeah and that's
0: Yeah, dogmatism, you know, it's wonderful to have a robust set of beliefs and values. That's different than dogmatism, which shuts us down and makes us everybody that we come across as a brick wall. We're just talking at them. But that ability to dialogue, which does not lessen ourselves or our beliefs, but allows us to expand, allows us to actually have insight. And many people, as you know, think that when I listen, and I don't respond. That means I'm agreeing or test agreement. That's completely false, right? We do not have to police the world and police everybody's language and remake it in our own image, but we can listen and find what's really going on and how, and how do you move forward? How yeah. do you move forward if we don't do that? It's difficult, especially myself included. I like to think I'm open, but there are certain issues that we all have them are those soapboxes that make it very difficult, our own little narratives that we have told ourselves over and over again. Makes it very difficult. As you said, this is all in our mind, <laughs> which is the wonderful thing about dialogue is that we're so sure about the other, but when we actually hear what's going on, we can change on a dime. We're like, I had no yeah. idea your mother was sick. I had no idea you have MS. I have no, I had no <laughs> idea that this awful thing happened to you. And you're dealing with this. I mean, I had no idea. And we need to start faulting ourselves for that lack of curiosity.
1: Yeah, that lack of curiosity and the thing that makes us not have grace Mm. for one another. Because people are like, oh yeah, I hear you going through all that, but you were still supposed to turn in the report at eight o'clock. (laughs) You're in a circle and hearing that. I'm just like, (laughs) then the next question is, what does it look like to have grace? And I have to say it with a straight face, even though I'm looking like, what she's going through.
0: (laughs) This game face, this poker face you have to have is, you know. (laughs) It is difficult in our line of work, the kinds of things that we hear that people say that seemingly lack of self-reflection. But when I see that in another, I think, okay, Mary, we're all on the way. It sounds insane. This person is saying this, but this person is here. And there's a possibility to that mustard seed of moving forward. And that's, you know, that thing they hear here, the thing they hear there, myself included, all hopefully, if we're open, eventually will blossom into a new way of being, a new way of thinking, a new level of seeing what we need to do so that we can better love the people in the world.
1: Yeah, yeah very true.
0: So you told us about a difficult situation. Can you tell us about one of the best situations you've had in a work environment with someone who was a mentor or a boss, a colleague that really encouraged you and helped you to and helped you to thrive. Margot fana
1: <laughs> She was my mentor. She's amazing. I was working with youth for a long time. She's someone who has believed in me and still believes in me. I think I could go to her with anything. She'd be like, you got this, Geneva. Uh, Margot, I met her at Seattle Union Gospel Mission. Um, I was working at the mission um, for a while, actually. Love the mission. And I was a youth coordinator. I was working with youth. And at one site, she was like, I'm moving you to another site. You got this. And I'm like, "Do what? <laughs> the pressure, the ability to, that's what I'm saying, the ability to see that Oh, you got this. She's good. Like, and she was really good at doing that. She was good at seeing where people could go, could be, and pushing them beyond their limits. Like, you're gonna do it. <laughs> I'm like Emma, she was like, you're gonna run the summer program, but your site is gonna be different. You're not just gonna run a summer program. The after school program is gonna be great, but you're also they have a homeless a homeless program that's attached to their to their church. So there'll be homeless people walking throughout the building and using the restrooms. And at night they're going to close the church doors, but there's an electric thing, uh, but people will still be in the parking lot, um, sleep. It was like a parking lot for folks who were uh, unhoused, right? And they could camp out at the church parking lot. She's like, you're going to help with that. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. And I was like, okay. And so I was first time being a supervisor, Um, Running a whole site, running a site for after school, all the volunteers, all the teachers, all the, you know, the different things that I had to do. She pushed me to the limits and she was like, you're going to do it and I'm going to train you and I'm going to show you how. And she did. Um, She really did. This is, this means a lot to someone who has a learning disability. I have dyslexia. I have had dyslexia, found out in third grade when I could not read and I wasn't getting it, Right. So the limitations you place on yourself as a young person who has a learning disability and everyone around you telling you all these things you won't ever be able to do. And then being able to do them all and surpass everyone, right? And then having someone who you work for, who believes in those abilities like, now, nope, you're gonna do this too. I'm like, really? can I <laughs> like it was just it was really, really great because I was able to really be pushed. A lot and to believe to for someone to believe in me as much as she did. I was always doing so many different things. And it wasn't just me that she was this great for. (laughs) She was she was this great for all the people that she led. Mm -hmm. And I think to myself, like, whoa, the ability to give this to me, but then to give it to other people. Like. Um, and to be able to do that with like, how many people did she, I think she led like 10, 10 folks, mm-hmm. um, at different sites throughout, you know, th- throughout Seattle and King County. It's just like, wow, really, really great organizer, great, uh, supervisor and manager. Um, yeah.
0: What a wonderful experience. What a gift.
1: Yeah, she That's definitely so is. <laughs>
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I could talk to you for hours and hours, but I'd (laughs) like to end on this. I can't believe it's been about an hour. Um, I'd like to end on this question. When you think about the future of work and we want to bring in environments where not only people are treated with dignity and respect, but they are encouraged to thrive. What do you think needs to happen in the world of work to bring that about?
1: Hmm,
0: Really good question.
1: I teach a course called Revolutionary Listening. What does it look like to listen, not listen to respond or to attack or to defend, but to really listen? It is so powerful to listen. And I think if we are all listening a little bit more, not with bias or prejudice, or but really listening to someone, I think is important. But the same thing of speaking um, and speaking what you believe, your truth, your ability to communicate your heart. And both of these things kind of leave us in a vulnerable place to be able to say, this is what I believe. This is what's happening. It is, it leaves us in a place of vulnerability, but also for the listener to be humble enough to say, I'm not talking now. I'm only listening to you. It does such, such powerful things in organizations and in community because it doesn't happen a lot. Uh, People are not having conversations. People, like we said, are go into assumptions and different things. But if you can actually have a conversation, so I'd say dialogue and conversation, I think is really important moving forward in the workspace, being able to have dialogue and conversation in a healthy way, yeah.
0: I love that. It's so powerful. It's free. In fact, it costs you less if you do it. It definitely does. (laughs) It definitely
1: does.
0: (laughs) Geneva, thank you so much for being on Conflict Managed. I had such a wonderful time talking with you.
1: Absolutely. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Geneva, thank you so much for being on Conflict Managed. It's been such a joy to get to know you, and I appreciate the work that you're doing. Conflict Managed is produced by Third Party Workplace Conflict Restoration Services and hosted by me, Mary Brown. If you haven't had a chance to check out my new book, How to Be Unprofessional at Work, Tips to Ensure Failure, which is 80 tips of what not to do at work, and how to start a conversation about healthy work cultures, you can find it on Amazon. Come back. We have new episodes every Tuesday. Our music is courtesy of Duff Pilot. And remember, conflict is normal and to be expected. Let's deal with it. Until next time, take care.